Welcome to the Smart Tech Check Podcast, hosted by Mark Vina, your home for candid, insightful, and provocative conversations about the smart home, home automation, security, smartphones, PC and console gaming, and much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Vina, host of the Smart Tech Check Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 28th, 2022. Joining me for today's podcast is the dynamic duo of tech journalism, uh, Stuart Walpin, who scribes for Popular Mechanics, U.S. News, Techlicious, Investopedia, and other fine publications. John Quain, uh, the irrepressible John Quain, by the way, who writes for the New York <laughs> Times, Smart Cities, and Tom's Guide. Rob Pegarero, uh, who writes for uh, Wire Cutter PC Magazine in USA Today. He, I think we think he's in Lafayette, correct, uh, Looks like John? According to my sources, tracking him online. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's joining we, 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 international forces in Ukraine. Right. Yeah, we, we put an air tag uh, in his luggage and we know exactly uh, where he is. But <laughs> right. what we've decided to do with today's podcast is we're going to focus exclusively on what other better topic to talk about. And that is uh, Elon Musk and the shenanigans going on with um, uh, Twitter. And I've, I've framed a few topics that we'll, we'll, we'll go into, which will be, I think, a joy to get uh, Stuart's opinion and uh, John's opinion on. But before we go into this, I just have a general question for both of you guys, because I've known you guys for a long time. You know, I don't think you're ideologues in any sense of the word. You're, you're very reasonable people. Well, maybe Stuart's not that reasonable when it comes to the Yankees, but that's a, <laughs> that's a different discussion. But, you know, you, Stu, Stuart, you're um, a rational, <laughs> John's rational. And I even think, I'll even, even though he's not on the podcast, uh, Rob is rational. What When something like this happens, what blows my mind is that the reaction from the extreme left and just some of the, just, you know, there's a way of, which we'll get into, you know, discussing this issue in kind of a sober and intellectual manner, addressing the issues that people have. But when people start saying things like this is the end of democracy, you know, uh, the, 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 the republic uh, can't, um, you know, can't flourish with this. I saw a headline uh, this morning uh, in, <laughs> I don't know if you guys read, I don't know how I got on the, on the district list for Jacobin, the Jacobin website. No. Um, there is a magazine called the Jacobin and obviously it lives up to its name. It does have fairly uh, extreme uh, opinions, but it's all about doomsday, you know, and many of the things the left is um, concerned about, you know, one could argue and still have a reasonable opinion that, well, these are the kind of things that have already been happening on Twitter, you know, about banning people and um, information that was thought to be misinformation that's now um, truthful and accurate. Um, I don't believe there's a conspiracy going on at, at, at Twitter. And I'll say that even though I don't agree with many of the things that come out of there from a, an opinion standpoint. But, you know, I think some of the algorithms, it'll be interesting to see if they ever come to light to see where the algorithms um, take people to. But Stuart, I'll start with you. How do you explain this, just the, 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 the vitriol? You know, well, it's, coming, it's, coming, it's coming from both sides. It's from the left and the right. For instance, Ben Shapiro, for instance, yesterday started claiming, you know, that this is the birth of new free speech. But now we should fire every Twitter employee because they've expressed an opinion. It's just right. nuts on both sides. And the thing that makes me laugh about all of this is he hasn't done anything yet. Yes. For crying out loud, we have no idea if and when the rea reality of actually running this giant thing will ever bump him into the face and realize it's one thing to be an outside snide critic of something and the other and, and the other side to actually own it and run it. 
And I think he's going to meet a very crude reality once he starts stepping into that offices and starts dictating what he wants to do. There are people who work there. There are people who are running it already. Just because you own it, he's not going to walk in like uh, Charles Foster Kane did in Citizen Kane and and fire everybody and write his manifesto and give it to Joseph Cotton. I mean, this is what this reminds me of. You know, the, he hasn't even taken ownership of it yet. Everybody well, just relax. Well, well and on that point... I'm not saying that he has all good ideas or all bad ideas, but he's got to run this company. And I don't think he understands exactly what he's gotten himself into. And I don't think the left or the right understand what he's going to do with it yet. Everybody's postulating to, to draw clicks and views. Well, and to your point, Stuart, and we'll bring John into this quickly, is that it's not like he could come in. Well, first of all, the deal's got to happen. It's going to take about six months for the, the government to right. bless it. But once you get past that, you know, the, there are certain guidelines, for example, in the EU, EU has very specific guidelines uh, that he'll have to adhere to. And he, of course, he knows that, you know, so. That's what I'm saying. The realities of running this, I don't think, have hit anybody on any level, does. on any stretch of the political scale. He doesn't really John, actually, ahead, he doesn't really actually appear to understand anything about the GDPR or any of that, actually, right. from the sorts of the stuff he tweets. He clearly hasn't read any of it and nobody's really explained it to him. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much uh, going on. There is a certain people haven't raised it, but there's a very serious antitrust problem here presenting itself. So the antitrust department in Washington is has much more looked at vertical integrations and things. Well, now you have the proponent of somebody who's, you know, has some SEC problems of his own. He just lost another bid to try and get out of things. He's done a lot of pump and dump on stocks of his own accord. And now he's going to own Twitter. That's an antitrust problem, probably. And then so is he going to be restricted from doing certain things? I don't know. Um, and, and that's the I, I thought it's certain that he'll actually buy the company. I mean, that may become such a headache that he doesn't get past. Oh, yeah, that very frequently happens. A deal is struck. Yeah. And when people start going through the due diligence process, which has to happen before a acquisition, all kinds of things get uncovered. And, you know, he he may say to himself, you know, I don't I didn't sign up to this mess. You well, know. they also, um, you know, the DOJ and, and uh, those folks, uh, FCC can extend the review period now. So they've made motions that some of these companies said, ah, you don't have the people working in your department to review all these cases. And what the government said was, that's okay. We'll just extend the length of time that we're going to review them. So six months, more like a year, I bet. Um, and, you know, I think people are screaming just because this is the guy who says, you know, violent stuff. He was a COVID denier, a COVID denier. And now, and that's absolutely false. Don't know how many people suffered because of that, that person should be in charge of Twitter? Probably not. Um, and also he's been after the lawyers that have been riding shotgun at Twitter as if they're incompetent and terrible people and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is exactly the kind of trolling stuff that we have been trying to stop. And here he's just promoting it. Doesn't look well, very I, I want to get into the This is all, all great stuff to talk about. We'll get into the topics. But I know this is going to be great fodder for a Hulu or HBO or Showtime series, a multi-part series on this. I don't know. By the way, just as an editorial comment, did you watch the – have you watched that Hulu series? Is it Hulu? Is it Hulu or Showtime on, uh, on Uber? 
the uh, Uber. No. Um, no, I, I, I'm refusing to watch any of these now. I live through this. You know, it's right. like, I don't, it's, it's like, seriously. The Theranos thing is like, I lived through this. I don't need to watch it again. It's, it well, is it's like work. It, yeah. confirms, it confirms your worst concerns about people when you think, you know, when you think. Believe me, at our age, they didn't need to be confirmed. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, a lot of it's cartoon characterizations of of uh, of of real life people that always happens in in when you tr try to take uh, you know real life figures and especially in real time, these people are still alive. They don't have the in all their all fairness to them, someone who's alive today and now is being um, characterized in a movie or or a book. They don't you don't have the advantage of time that goes by sometimes years and decades, so you get a more sobering opinion. Perspective and context. Right. I mean, yeah. I think the word Richard Nixon comes to um uh, comes to mind when you think about that. Well, certainly not an all perfect person, but you know, obviously, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Perspective of the last guy. Right. <laughs> I, um, that'll probably take about a century for things to settle. Right. Well, now but I'm thinking me, maybe that China going to China wasn't such a good idea after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's bring the uh, the uh, first topic up here and. You know, you know, Stuart, you and I had a conversation yesterday that, you know, everybody likes to jump to Twitter, that this whole thing is about free speech, free, 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 free speech, free speech, free speech. Most of these people have never read the First, <laughs> First Amendment in the Constitution uh, and don't understand the many Supreme Court decisions and the history behind free speech and what it's all about. Um, and even some decisions in relative recent memory that have impacted, you know, how free speech applies to groups and to companies, by the way. Um, or does this whole free speech stuff obscure the real issues that are in hand here that we'll obviously get into in a second? So, Stuart, let me start with you. Well, as you and I discussed yesterday, free speech doesn't mean diddly squat. That phrase means nothing. You want to know what the logical conclusion of free speech is? Go to HN. That's free speech. Right. Speech has been restricted in this country since its founding. There is no such thing as utterly free speech. What is free to you is objective to, to somebody else. I mean, for instance, today's Yad Hashem um, and Facebook, which is owned by a Jew, Mark Zuckerberg, has been going for the last few years on whether or not to allow Holocaust denialism on Facebook is that is Holocaust denialism free speech or is it restricted? You know, and again, we are talking public versus private entities in the public square. If I wanted to get up on a soapbox in Central Park, I could scream about Holocaust denial to my heart's content, probably get stoned by everybody walking by me and hearing me. But in the public square, sure, I can do that. But a private company can Mark Zuckerberg either realistically or legally restrict Holocaust yes. denialism. What yes. exactly is free speech? Um, um, Musk himself has compared um, Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, to Hitler. Is that free speech? I, I mean, so it's it. The, every anybody who says this is about free speech is just blowing smoke up your butt. Because there is no clear <laughs> definition for what free speech actually is. And anybody who uses that phrase in relation to a private entity like Twitter has no idea what they're talking about. No, and that's a great distinction, Stuart. I, I think the point that needs to be made, though, 
is some people think that when you suppress free speech, and I'm going to use an extreme example, that means that the government has a right for you to, to you know, to figuratively put your, their hand on your mouth and prevent you from saying it. That is not the application of free speech. You can say whatever you want, but for example, the famous Supreme Court decision from a hundred years ago, you can't, you can, you can shout a fire in a crowded theater. Nothing stops you from doing that, but they can pass very good laws about mm -hmm. did, you just, uh, did you cause a, a stampede in the theater and harm people? And that could be a very serious crime. Yes, that's a, that's, that's the, the legal definition of, of, of restricted speech is causing violence. That, yes. That's one accepted definition within the federal government. But what the federal government says and what a private entity says are two different, different things. things. I agree. Right. Right, And I want John to comment on this. Where I get hung up about this a little bit is then it becomes what the, what is the interpretation of what, you know, hate speech or violent speech is? Because that can be a very broad spectrum. I mean, Stuart, you've been to Met games and Dodger games that certain things were said about either, either team that could spur people onto violence. I could say well, yeah, how many times in a ball game, game do you hear, kill the umpire? Nobody yeah. is actually, except maybe Ty Cobb, is contemplating <laughs> murdering a referee. But right, yet, right. you hear it scream from the stands all the time. John, so, please yeah. jump in. John. Sure. Th this picture above me, behind me, is actually from the Agora in Athens from a trip years ago that Stuart and I actually have to be on a business trip. Um, so there, you know, that's I'm standing where Socrates stood and, you know, pontificated and questioned people and stuff. And he got in a lot of trouble for that, right? I mean, you know, that was supposed to be sort of free speech too. But to both your points, you're absolutely right. You know, this is a, a, a private company. I mean, publicly held, but a private company. None of this applies to anything on Twitter. You know, they can, they can make it only, only men could tweet. Only men over the age of 21 could tweet. They could make that the rule. And there's nothing you could do to stop that. Um, but... You know, so it's it's not an issue. I and I continually argue that these companies, Facebook and Twitter, are more like the New York Times. They need to be under the same restrictions and rules. Yes. And in that case, if that were to actually happen, then all of this would be moot because so much of the stuff would go away on Twitter. And John, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think you know, again, they don't want that to happen because right. they don't want the, the they don't want the liability, of course. Right. But you guys have written and worked for you know, very respected publications. You can't write an article, John, in the New York Times, right. my, my, my hometown newspaper. You right. know, I grew up in New Jersey and New York. You yeah. can't write yeah. something that is, first it has to be fact-checked, it's defended, and yeah. your editor goes through it. And even sometimes when a, a, an editor will take a chance, because you, even though it's been sourced properly, you know, the New York Times doesn't want to be, um, you know, uh, libelous for right. uh, in, uh, information unstated. So I would love that protection to be applied to certain uh, social media sites like Facebook, right. Twitter, and that probably would would have a long way in, in terms of some of the cleanup. You'd say, right? And I the think other there is actually there there may actually be a simpler solution to this, and I think a lot of people have posed this even to, to Musk. As I think mentioned it briefly, is that an an anonymity? Oh, good lord, anonymity is a big problem. People can say stuff without repercussion, and what yes. you're talking about is liability for the 
the host company. But the fact is that if these companies, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, if they kept a record of who these people are, then those people could even themselves simply be sued individually. The problem is that the companies, most of them have these firewalls between, which is why bots exist, have a firewall between the person's online identity and who they really are. Cool. And if there is some legislation that force these companies to keep records of who these people are posting under these odd names. I mean, listen, pseudonyms have been there since the days of Alexander Hamilton and Publius writing, you know, advocating for the Federalist Papers. Nothing ben against ben, ben Franklin. But the newspapers, ben Franklin. Knew, the publishers knew who he was. Right. But, but I think it's also, I think it's more than that. I mean, you, you're not going to stop the Alex Jones of the world with that. Right. And that's, that's one of your problems that you, if you, you have to deal with. Him, you could. You, really, they did. I mean, but he, he still caused a lot of damage and, you know, a, a, did a lot of harm. So that you're trying to prevent that stuff from going on. The other examples that come to mind too are, well, one is Eric Schmidt. This is a replay of Eric Schmidt all over again. Like, you know, oh, if you don't want to be found out on internet, maybe you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. And like the bingo, the minute we publish his social security number, oh, oh, he's very upset about all that privacy intent. The same with Elon Musk, right? He's all fine and dandy, but once you start putting where his plane is uh, flying around the world, what does he try to do? Shut it down immediately. So these, these mediums, you know, this medium of Twitter and other social networks are also used for very serious things like swatting people. So this idea that Elon is going to come along and make this all free and love to all the people and all the politics is like, no, that's not going to work. No. And we know from personal experience, we're older than him. We have more experience of like, hey, if you do that, here's what's going to happen, right? An awful lot of hate is going to come your way. So it's just, it's just not realistic. Well, you know, and, and this was Rob's question. Who couldn't couldn't make it to the podcast? <laughs> you know, so we can we can we 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 can obviously um, opine on his behalf. But Stuart, let me just you know flip this over to you. Is it? I mean, is it as simple as the the, the social media networks just leaving the front, the free amendment, the First Amendment component um, alone by itself? I mean, no, don't you think that's, impractical? Was, that's again, impractical? I will. I, it's a, absolutely impractical and the standards don't apply again it's the example i gave before you can go and get on a box in central park and and shout and scream and rant rave all you like but if you do that on social media are you causing actual harm right um you know again and talking about holocaust denialism uh election denialism all you know covid denialism for a private company does, and because the private company, Twitter, Facebook, whatever, has no liability about this, they could certainly allow that stuff on, and they will only be met by the commercial and um, uh, consequences of acting that irresponsible. So the First Amendment rights, again, if you want to go out and you want to say that, but for a person to bear the consequences and for a company to bear the consequences, I think those are two very different, um, two different venues, essentially. Right. It's also the, the freedom, the, the, those rights are going to vary from country to country. So you're not going to be able to say certain things in Germany and France that you could say in the United States. That's going to be an issue. So, I mean, you could totally moderate that. You just take the IP addresses and shut it down. But I mean, there's another practical thing. Look at it this way. Um, 
if you just do as Elon Musk suggests that one might do, Russia would not have done anything wrong in the Ukraine. And everything would be about, all oh, Russia's doing a great job in the Ukraine and those terrible Nazis in the Ukraine. Because there are more Russians than there are Ukrainians. And what would happen is they would just flood Twitter with that stuff and that's all you would see. And we've shown that time and time again. So his ideas are, I think the proper word, ludicrous, I think is the word I'm looking for. So, you know, once you actually are sitting in that seat and see what happens. And we also, we can't wait for Elon to learn these lessons because we saw what happened with Facebook when they took too long to learn these lessons. So a lot of damage was done. January the 6th, don't want to raise it again, but come on. So I think we have to do something before Elon actually gets in that position. Yeah, so, so John, I, I get that. So how, how do you respond, though, to, I mean, we're talking about cases when we bring up, there's some issues that are black and white in terms of bad, evil, hard to wrap your, you just can't see the, the wisdom of even uttering the words. Those are the easy ones to kind of, you know, categorize as hate speech or, or offensive speech. But what about those corner cases where people say things that the victim who's receiving the information is claiming, oh, I interpret that as a hate speech statement. It can be interpreted by many people as a non-hate speech statement. But I mean, we were using the silly example of baseball, but there are many people who, you know, if you talk about, um, I mean, even if you raise the specter of abortion, you know, that in terms of a woman's right versus the um, right to privacy versus what may happen in the Supreme Court in a few weeks when the Supreme Court finally um, rules again? That's going to be that's, that's going to be an interesting issue, um, discussion. Uh, there are certain people that will react to that with extreme vitriol, saying, "You know, this, you know, if, if 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 the Supreme Court were to do this, violence will break out in the streets, and you know, there'll be pitchforks and knives, and the whole thing will be a mess." H how do you, you know, how do you, uh, how, how do you handle that? I mean, how do you comprehend that? I think it's easier than people think. Remember those programs when the, you know, when the, the days of the well and CompuServe and stuff, there were some early programs we used to write about, um, you know, parental supervision of kids online, which now people seem to have just given up on, but whatever. How am I going to watch every TikTok video my daughter watches? You know, I, I just, it's impossible. But there were programs and there still are programs and they use them to filter out things at Facebook and Twitter and they use algorithms and things that just flag all those guns, you know, all these sort of words, lexicons of things. It's a lot easier than one thinks. I think the corner cases are like the breastfeeding thing on Facebook. Where of course they didn't want to show nudity, but then these women were like, "What? That we're teaching, we're helping people." So it was like, "Oh right, so how do I, how do I filter that out?" It, it usually goes the other way, and and I think you can, you don't do much harm restricting and then going back and letting those things back on. I think you do more harm by not restricting anything, and then you know the police break into a house and kill somebody. And then you're like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have let that information online. You know, it's it's too late then. I think you need to err on the other side. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. Erring on the side of caution. Again, this is what I mentioned before. I don't think that that Mr. Musk understands what he's getting himself into. Again, it's one thing being a troll and a critic of something. It's another thing to run something this complicated and i think as soon as it's sort of like he 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 loves it he takes goes to, it, there's a 
there, there's a, you know, the movie Inherit the Wind. Yes. Yeah. There's a great scene in the movie where the Spencer Tracy and Frederick March characters, William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow characters, are sitting on a right. board. And, and um, Clarence Darrow tells a story about this rocking horse that he saw as a, in, the, in a window of a toy story. Toy store when he was a kid, and all he wanted to do was get on that horse and ride that horse. And he pined after, and his parents scrimped and saved, and must have been his Christmas or his birthday. And he woke up, and at the foot of his bed was this rocking horse, this golden shining rocking horse. And he leaps out of bed and immediately jumps on it, and it breaks in half. And it was just made out of trash. And I think this is what Elon Musk is going to find. It's the shiny object that he has been pining after. And he's scrimped and he's saved to find it. And it's going to jump on it. And it's going to break in half. Because that is simply the nature of the beast. When you pine after something this complicated. And then you try to ride it. And you find that you're you're in deeper crap than you thought you were ever going to be. Yeah, I think the other lesson is... And, and- we all know this pretty well too. We've met how many entrepreneurs from, you know, the early days of uh, Alan and those guys uh, met all of them, right? We've seen them come and go and many of them aren't entrepreneurs anymore. They're gone. Um, You know, this is a lot different than taking a bunch of Panasonic laptop batteries and putting them in the back of a car, which is what Elon Musk did and thought, I'm going to teach the auto industry a lesson, right? Now that has transpired. That's been which a great, did. And to his credit, great which success. Was credit. Right? But it's and not crazy. the same. But it's not that simplistic. This is a lot more complicated than that. It's a lot more complicated than sending a rocket into space. Look, I could hire those same orbital science guys too, right? The men and women that worked at orbital science, bring them into my company and give them lots of money and they'd make it happen. But this isn't the same sort of thing. Right. But he probably thinks it is because he thinks, well, look at all the success I've had. Well, but here, so here's one thing that's been advanced here is that, it, and it's an approach, you know, hmm. can, can you, you know, can you solve a lot of, I mean, we talked about the fact is that if all of a sudden social media networks had liability for what they communicate, they'd be a lot more uh, circumspect on what, on the information that is transmitted on, on, on a, on a social media platform. Right. One other way, you know, and, uh, it could be is that, you know, uh, Stuart, you and I were talking about this uh, yesterday. And that, you know, years ago when people thought that motion pictures were getting too violent and too sexual and youth was going to be corrupted, and it obviously corrupted both you, Stuart, and you, John. They you know, are. Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde. You know, I'm, I'll date myself. I will tell you that when my father went to see The Graduate in 1967 or 1968, I was only six or seven years old. My mother famously tells a story that he walked out of the theater in disgust <laughs> when um, the Mrs. Robinson character uh, you know, took off her clothes. By, by the way, for about a millisecond, if I recall, it wasn't like a really explicit scene. But, but he waited is- until after that scene to leave, right? He watched that scene <laughs> very well. Shame on you, John, for talking about my dad that way. <laughs> but, here, here, but here's the deal is that that's what gave birth to the, to the, the rating system that to this day, it's a voluntary system that still lives with us today, where um, the motion picture uh, production companies submit their content and they get rated, you know, whether it's G, PG, NC-17, which, you know, it's a kiss of death for a lot of uh, movies. But right. is there, does, could a rating system ha- um, help? Meaning that, you know, hey, you could opt in. It could be an opt-in kind of scenario. And I want to know if this, uh, th- this site has a reputation for 
certain types of content. And, um, you know, and by the way, that would be rated, but that rating presumably would come out of Twitter, you know, and you, you subject yourself to that. Uh, do you, John, do you think that's a workable system or do you think that's that somehow misses the point? I, I, I think uh, the, the uh, <laughs> how should I put this? I think the porn industry has sort of proven that that's kind of useless, right? I mean, can, is it possible oh, to stop you for bringing that up. <laughs> going on to a website? I mean, I, you know, I don't have children of that age anymore that I, I would be particularly worried about it. But I mean, it strikes me that there's nothing preventing kids from looking at a whole bunch of material that I'd probably rather they didn't look at if they were very young. Um, and I think most parents would feel that way. So I don't know that rating this would really help or even opting in because a certain person might be allowed back online and then everybody, they hear some crazy, insane thing like, you should drink bleach and then everybody's going to go back online and sign in. Right. Cause they want to see this crazy, insane stuff again. I'm, I'm drinking bleach right now. Just right. So, so you're, you're back, you're back at the same, I think it you puts you right back in the same position you were to begin with. I don't know that that helps very much. And it also, it's sort of like, if you make a taboo, Oh, people want that, you know? So I, I think that just makes it more attractive rather than less. Stuart, what's your thoughts on a ratings, a Twitter rating system? Well, just from from just answering that directly, how many movies are made in a year? A thousand movies made in a year? And how many daily Twitter posts are there? Oh, I, yeah. I just think logistically, that's an insane <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, still good, it's still curation, but on a much larger scale, and it's going back to something I mentioned before. That we, every time that we talk about that, everybody talks about the subject. It's all what Musk is going to do and how we, how does Twitter control this and how does Twitter control that? Why are we putting the onus on the publisher? Why aren't we putting the onus on the people who are posting? Right yes. now on this screen as you're watching this, not for those people listening, but those people watching, our names are under each one of our pictures. When each one of us writes a story... Our name is on it. We take responsibility for what we post online. That does not exist in social media. And the reason that you have this entire problem is because people refuse to take responsibility for what they say. And if you can do something to solve that problem, to make the public aware in some, at least, at least the publishers know who these people are. I think people will be a lot more circumspect about what they put online. The first person who gets sued for um, a slander or libel, I don't know what law that would fall under, you would see a lot of this kind of behavior start to fall away. Put if. Some responsibility was placed on the people who are posting and stop as well as some measure on the publisher. I think a lot of this would, I wouldn't say solve itself, but I think people need to take responsibility for what they say. And I think that's, I think the biggest problem that social media has faced since the beginning, people yeah. simply refuse yeah. to take responsibility for what they say and they are not held responsible for it. But I, I, so I hate to be the, like, I agree with that, basically, <laughs> except, except, you know, it keeps bothering me. We have this case of Yelp and that's a very problematic case. So somebody, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Smith post a review of a restaurant in downtown, you know, uh, 
the Santa Clara and they like, I didn't like the egg rolls and the, you know, the, the waiter was insolent to me and it was overpriced. And then the restaurant turns around and sues them for thousands mm -hmm. and thousands of dollars, bankrupts Mr. and Mrs. Smith. That's what's going on right now. It just seems wrong, right? So, I mean, that is going on. So making the individuals responsible in our litigious system, that something's amiss. I don't know what the solution is. I do think you should be identifiable. I mean, technically you are, because if you really wanted to know, you could track. Nobody can sp outspoof a real security person. But um, so, so using that analogy, if a bad movie comes out and a, and a critic really goes after it, the movie production, the production company can sue the, the critic. Is that what you're? I, uh, I don't know how this is. I really don't know how it's happening. They're they're suing them for libel and definite, you know, stuff like that. It's happening in the United States. That seems like a, I, I, it's hey, happening in the United States. Anybody for anything, right? And it's happening in Canada as well. Um, you know, people who and those are honest reviews. Look, I had a bad dinner there, and the the restaurateur is upset because all of a sudden, you know, they lose half their business. Uh, so I don't know what the solution to that is, you know. But you're right. I've well, Stuart and I both reviewed movies many years ago, back in a previous lifetime. Yeah, and we used to trash movies all the time. You wasted two and a half hours of my life. You yeah, know? And, and, and Stuart, you know this well in the theater, because you guys are both in New York. Yeah. There used to be critics like Frank Rich and uh, Clive Barnes, and some, you know, that was when you had three or four newspapers, and a, a single bad review could close a show. Well, you know, uh, I'll tell you, there, in, in our business, we review products. Right. right. And I, I recently wrote a review right. of a product. I wouldn't say which or whatever. Uh, and I gave it a one star and I sent it to my editor and I said, listen, <laughs> I'm going to leave this up to you. I do not like to post bad reviews of a product simply because it, not, not even the litigious side. I just feel I'm not helping anybody here. Um, and, and, some people have worked for years trying to get this product right, and me comes along, plays with it for a couple of days, and I and I try. I it it bothers me. I don't like to write bad reviews. I know a lot of people get a lot of glee from this. A lot of people in our industry get a lot of joy out of that. I do not. I think that me not writing about it means they don't get any more publicity about it, right? And, and that sort of thing, right? But I think that's my moral compass where that's concerned is not yeah you see well you're, but you both are ethical guys i mean one of the nice things about being an analyst is that um uh unlike a journalist no journalists don't have you know someone can't put a gun to your head and, and force you to write about some right. although you tell your editor right they're not to cite your example right but in my in my area guys i can approach with products and solutions that being a, a i'm a product guy a marketing guy who's worked for some pretty successful companies and I just know intellectually, I'm like, this product will never sell. It's it's a, it's a it's a solution looking for a problem, right. and I and when I simply do, and, they, and people want to pay and they will pay you know they'll pay an analyst a lot of money to help them. I've done that also, and I and it breaks my heart. And I typically don't do that, you know, unless I think there might be something that can pay, fix and the product might have border repeal right. in, a, in a generation two or three point mm -hmm. type of thing. But um, but yeah, you know, I, I hear I hear you. Let so, me hit the last, because we just got a, a couple of minutes left here. I just want to make sure. And John, did you want to finish something? Do you have a finish? No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. We should move on. Yeah, I just want to, hey, what is this, and you could probably wrap this into this, John. Where does this all end? I mean, whether it's six months or a year, you know, if you wanted to prognosticate on kind of where this thing ends up, um, 
Does Elon Musk, you know, run away from this three or four months from now after he figures what he got himself into? Or um, does it become the wild, wild west? You know, he just rips up the playbook and says, okay, everybody, you can post whatever you want. There are no controls, which he, he tweeted on the other day. He simply implied that very seriously, that oh, there's going to be very few um, limitations on what people can post. So if you had a guess, John, where do you think this is going? I don't, uh, you know, it's a good question. I think it's going to take close to a year if he does actually um, acquire the company. Um, and I'm not sure that that's actually going to happen. Remember, in the background, too, is all these investigations that are going on uh, into Twitter and Facebook and Google and Amazon right now. So those are just starting to pick up steam. Who knows what could transpire in terms of news stories or events that happen from now and then the next six months that could bring even more attention to them. And uh, so I think that could really stymie this deal. It, it may never happen. I think that's one of the interesting things that people are forgetting about. They're like, well, they accepted the offer. Well, yeah, but there's a whole bunch of other things that have to happen. No, there's a lot and of go there's a lot that happens. And by the way, if the deal doesn't happen, um, a lot of banks are going to make some money because there's all kinds of you know fees that banks pay and the, the, after the after the vetting work goes on. If the deal doesn't go through, people get paid. You know, so right. uh, you know it's one of those deals that's uh, it's always kind of most people don't uh, realize that. Stuart, where do you think this ends in a couple of well, minutes? Well, I we think have there's a couple of things to consider. One, I think John is right that this is going to take time. But the other aspect of the time aspect is the midterm elections. Yes, and you find that if the Republicans take the House and or the Senate, that that could change a lot of the calculus that the Justice Department uses or or the Congress uses to determine whether or not this deal is going to go through. So that's the first thing. But the second thing is, I think this ends the way that everything ends in terms of new media throughout history. The federal government will step in and create legislation that will be god awful, but it will at least put some, I don't want to say chains, but some restrictions. And I point to two things as an example of this. The Telecommunications Act of 1936 and the Telecommunications Act of 1996. The Telecommunications Act of 1936 was a reaction to what was going on in the then new field of radio, despite the fact that radio had been in the public consciousness for 15 years. <laughs> and we are, we are reaching that stage. And then it took Congress 60 more years to get to television for and, and other forms of communication in 1996. And if you look at the telecommunications after 1996, despite the fact that the internet had already been around for about five years, didn't even mention the word internet and and so we are living in a post-Telecommunications Act of 1996 world where the federal government will step in, but it will take some time and it will be bad. <laughs> two, two very optimistic uh, points of view. I'm really, really like, I really like that. And I'm sure after this podcast, what you're going to guys are going to try to do is you'll, you'll get with Pegarero and try to raise, you know, fifty billion, um, fifty uh, billion dollars to see if you can actually acquire Twitter yourself, and you'll you'll both straighten it out. I think I got twenty bucks here. Wait, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little short of the, uh, the a little, little shy, couple of decimal yeah, exactly. points. Well, listen, guys, thank you for taking the time to join me for today's podcast. For our viewing and listening audience, thanks for making the Smart Tech Check podcast part of your day or commute. Please make sure that you hit the like and subscribe buttons at the end of today's podcast. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Mark Vina Tech Guy. 
If you ha haven't already, please make a donation to the Red Cross or your preferred charitable organization to help the brave people of Ukraine in their time of need. And until next time, have a great week, and thanks, guys. Thanks. Thanks.